0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that's going on strike. Just from our regular jobs, not for making this podcast, obviously. Of
1: course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This um, is
2: our Jen- announcement. We're on strike <laughs> yeah, until you can surprise on
0: Patreon. <laughs> uh, today we have Jules,
1: Kellen, Laura, and Zoe.
0: And today we're talking about labor activism, more specifically, the massive wave of strikes and other worker actions that we've seen over the past several weeks. Um, there have been over 180 strikes in the US in 2021 so far. Many of them have included thousands, if not tens of thousands of workers, and people have been referring to last month as striketober due to the number of strikes. And then since this energy has been carrying over into November, I've started to hear the term strikes giving, which I think is hilarious. And I think I'm going to celebrate strikes giving instead of Thanksgiving from now on.
2: I love it. And I think it's so much more wholesome to celebrate later. Cro- labor radicalism than like a bunch of settler colonialists anyway. So like win-win.
1: Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes. I also think it's worth noting, especially because this is a week after our elections episode, a cursed episode, if you will, um, that this is another and, in my opinion, more effective way to engage in political work. Um, Thinking about your labor and practicing withholding your labor from those who exploit you is one of the most political acts you can do under capitalism.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Wanted to... um... Just continue with like our conversation from last week about the master's tools and thinking about the limitations of like what we are able to do under capitalism, although labor organizing obviously is great, we stand, direct action gets the goods, we know this. Um, in some ways it can serve for negotiations that end up keeping workers in their place like many labor laws and policies and policies historically have been put in place as a means to halt movements from further radicalizing looking at you FDR Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it was so funny because I was like trying to see if I wanted to say more about FDR I decided I didn't but like the first article that came up when I put in like My search keywords was like, how FDR saved capitalism. And I was like, we know this. We know (laughs) know and we hate it. (laughs) So this is not a dig at labor organizing at all, but rather a dig at how difficult it can be. And we will get to that more. But um, And we've talked about this on other episodes, but just the difficulty to form a union and create substantial and lasting change in the workplace since it still operates under the master's rules.
2: Yeah, totally. And I do just on this note sort of think it's worth thinking about the ways that labor organizing goes towards accomplishing non-reformist reforms. So that's like reforms that bring us closer to building something. To continue the metaphor that Zoe's talking about in a you know very um, tenuous way, building something outside the master's house, so to speak. Um, so like a world in which healthcare isn't tied to your workplace, or where at the very minimum, like every workplace offers healthcare that evens the playing field between workers and bosses because bosses no longer literally hold your life in their hands. Um, And like given the hostile environment to labor organizing in much of the United States, like I think that, you know, as we talked about last week, like bourgeois elections are definitely part of the master's toolkit, but like labor organizing itself. So, not like what Zoe was talking about with like the laws and stuff, but the actual labor organizing isn't like, you know, I wouldn't consider strikes and labor stoppages to be the master's tools as they, I'm going to stretch it out even further, literally make it impossible for the master to work. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying the metaphor. It's, it's working maybe. I don't know we'll see you but did I think the point thank you yeah. so much You're this is what
3: it. this is yes this is proof that Kellen is an established academic look at that metaphor go I. it's it's why i well, look at it go. <laughs> but once again as we're always saying just be gay and do labor crimes labor yeah. crimes people yeah. have been saying this and it's us <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, um, and I think we'll we'll get into this more in throughout the episode as well. But like, just that there can be a distinction between like you know some types of labor activism happen outside of unions, mm-hmm. and like sometimes a union is the best way to work towards the goals that workers need in that situation, and sometimes it may not be the thing that's working. So your
2: union. Will- you know, actively undermines you at every turn. Yes, exactly.
0: Definitely
2: not speaking for personal experience (laughs) on a strike that I will be talking about
0: later. Uh, Well, we wanted to start out with a little bit of background just about like the past two years and how the pandemic has kind of shifted labor organizing and also just like people's thoughts about labor. Um, I think first, obviously it's important to note that we've seen this shift within service work from like something that's just completely looked down on and considered like a quote unquote low skill type of job to this language of essential workers. Um, but even as people are being referred to as essential workers, they're still not actually being treated that way in terms of the employment protections that they have. And I think, That language really highlighted for a lot of people how much that was the case that they are essential to the functioning of capitalism and yet they're not being treated as such. Um, And I think a lot of people pointed out that this label was sort of a distraction or like a way of aesthetically like putting workers on this pedestal when the conditions on the ground were directly contradicting that idea. Um, I feel like it's similar in some ways to this idea that comes up around elections, that certain oppressed groups often, this is said about Black women, will like, save everyone by voting the right way, Um, and then how that like, yeah, which is so annoying, like, (laughs) For many reasons, but one of them is <laughs> that it ignores the ways in which people like experience real harm that then causes them to vote that way or like feel forced into voting for certain things because it has this imp- enormous impact on their lives. Um, and I think similarly, in this case, like a lot of essential workers didn't want to be like doing this work and propping up capitalism during this time. but. They didn't necessarily have a choice. They probably couldn't quit for financial reasons. Um, a lot of folks who are undocumented couldn't quit because they weren't even eligible for pandemic unemployment or rent assistance. Um, people had immunocompromised family, and so they didn't want to be going into an in-person job. But then like a lot of people have medical bills that they need to be paying. So just a lot of factors that like forced people into this supposedly, quote, essential job um, that really wasn't being treated as essential as it was. Um, My friends who work in grocery stores had some really horrifying experiences during like the height of the pandemic. Um, I have one friend who works in like a fairly conservative part of California um, and he was a manager at a grocery store and was like regularly having customers like shout at him and threaten him occasionally like actually get like physically shove him and like touch him, um, for him asking them to put on a mask, um, which, you know, not only did he want to do for his own safety, but is also like literally part of his job. He would be fired if he let people come in without wearing a mask. Um, but then he was like, the person who directly had to like interface with people that didn't like that rule um i also heard a lot about like lack of safety equipment rules like everyone has to wear gloves but then like the corporate office didn't actually send the store gloves so everyone had to get their own or like figure it out for themselves um and then a lot of my friends who worked in the restaurant industry were fired or laid off um obviously that that happened across a lot of other industries too Um, and early in the pandemic, I was doing reporting on rideshare drivers who already experienced really precarious working conditions. Um, and similarly, like there was really no support or guidance from big companies like Uber and Lyft. Um, the messaging was just really unclear about like what was and wasn't safe. And I think more concerningly, people were like, not... were being punished for taking time off for being sick um which is like especially in a pandemic seems like people should understand why that is a bad idea um and also like there was no safety equipment kind of like similar issues across a lot of industries um but anyway I, i mention all of this for two reasons um the first One is mainly just to point out like how mask off
2: mask off
0: employers. I didn't, I honestly did not even mean for that to be a fun. Um, there's just so so many good mask puns um or bad mask puns. Um mask for mask. Yeah, exactly. But you know how like a lot of employers, especially bigger corporations, just like became very blatant in their hatred of workers and showing that their goal is just to make money. And they literally don't care if their employees die as long as they keep finding people to work for them. Or in a lot of cases, which we will talk more about, um, just forcing remaining employees to work overtime. Um, And I think those early months of the pandemic where things were so confusing and horrifying to have absolutely no support from many employers really stuck with people. Like there were I don't know communities and supports that were helping people and i think almost none of those were really coming from employers Mm -hmm. um it's just just like you can't go back to unknowing that your employer literally doesn't care if you die
2: yeah yeah no that's really well said jules like and and we'll talk about Columbia and working conditions and stuff there in a little bit. But I just wanted to share that a few months ago, emails leaked from the provost, um, who at the beginning of the pandemic was literally like, graduate teachers and adjuncts have less power and are more expendable than tenured and tenure track faculty. And we should try to make them teach in person instead of online, like at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was like, okay, cool. You
0: just oh like God. straight up do not care if we live or die. So yeah, we'll to see that. is a horrifying word to apply to humans. <laughs> what? For the uh, record,
3: that's the bad kind of labor crime. That's not <laughs> Yes, yeah, so yeah, so that's the that's labor, labor crime
1: that everyone gets away with all the time. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to do the one that isn't as successful. Subversive
2: <laughs> labor crime. <Yeah>, yes. Exactly. <laughs> time theft. Good. Wage theft. Bad. That's so true.
0: Um, I guess the other reason that I bring this up is because I feel like relatively early in the pandemic, because things were so uncertain and financially difficult for so many people, there a lot fewer people quit their jobs in early 2020 than is like average in the U.S. Um, personally, I had just left an education program and I was like trying to find a first job after that I'm desperately looking for work in a climate where there seemed to be no jobs is like something that I also heard from a lot of other people at the time um but I think that contrasts in a really interesting way with the climate that we've been seeing more this year. Um there's been this phenomenon that economists are calling the great resignation or more cool in my opinion the great refusal. Hell yeah. Um which I think is kind of badass even though economists made it up, but um <laughs> I'm going to appropriate that. Um yeah. but in April the most workers quit that have ever quit in a single month in the US which yeah. is amazing. um and i also just saw a poll from a few weeks ago that found that people's positive views of unions are the highest they've been in the u.s since 1965. um mm. so 68 people 68 percent of people polled said that they approve of labor unions um and there's actually like i was just looking at the graph of this specific poll question over time and there's been a pretty steady upward trend since 2009, which is interesting because that was like another time of major economic crisis and a lot of people realizing the big corporations just like don't care about us at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it just, it feels like there's been this kind of buildup of energy around like people realizing how little their employers care about them and wanting to, I get, and also realizing that they have some amount of power. Um, that they are essential in these certain ways, um, and, like, wanting to improve their workplaces or just leave them entirely, that's kind of starting to spill over during this time.
1: Yeah, totally, and I think, like, on the employer side of that, there's been this weird, uh, conversation that they're having with themselves mostly um that (laughs) where we've seen like swaths of employers suggesting that no one wants to work and of course why would we want to work first of all (laughs) um i think there is like we don't want to work (laughs) yeah no i and if you do wow i mean good really i don't know i don't know I think there's a mental shift that is happening where people are realizing that work doesn't equal your identity or that work isn't the end goal, like it has been for a long time. And while obnoxious ob- employers who give employees terrible conditions think it's due to laziness, I think there's much more of an awareness of how not okay many work cultures have become or have always been. Um And I do feel like what's been missing from the discourse in general is how losing a large amount of people to death from a pandemic affects the workforce. Like there are literally hundreds of thousands of people gone from society.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also just wanted to talk a little bit about just like my own personal experiences with workplace organizing during the pandemic. I'm a freelancer, so one big thing recently has been the PRO Act, which so far has passed in the House but not the Senate, um, and basically would give freelancers the right to unionize, which is something we don't currently have. Um, I think one thing that's been frustrating for me is seeing how many freelancers who consider themselves high-skilled, like journalists and photographers, don't support the PRO Act and in fact are actively against it, thinking that it's going to hurt them in some way. Um, I think especially in this climate, it's really frustrating to see certain workers, like, distancing themselves from others and trying to create these tiers, like, a hierarchy of, like, we do more high-skilled work, therefore we should, like, it's fair that we make more money um, in general. On the other hand, I've also seen a lot more kind of, like, informal ad hoc labor organizing during this time. Um, One example is there's this, like, listserv that I'm a part of that most people in my industry are in where people post jobs and it started to get all these comments from people basically saying like this isn't a fair rate for this work like you're not offering enough money and you need to pay more and early on in the pandemic I noticed employers were usually responding to those posts essentially saying like too bad if you don't want to do this job we'll find someone else who will and they would often like get very catty and then later come back and be like seven people already applied to this job, so you're wrong. Um, But we also started to see some places raise their rates in response to that pressure. Um, And so we ended up forming this little like working group to create a specific set of demands on rate for this one type of work. And in the meantime, we've been able to pressure a lot of places that post on this listserv to raise their rates for jobs. Um, So my hope is that this can become a space for us to identify other payment issues and like other things that we might want to organize around, even though there is no formal union in this situation. Um, It's been exciting to me to see people who don't necessarily think of themselves as labor activists or even people who generally care about labor issues um, still getting involved in this because... I think it's a moment where people have more financial need, but also we're seeing some of the pressure that we put on employers actually work. And I feel like that's important when we think about the strike wave as something that like keeps building as people see other worker efforts having some success. Um, I guess I'm curious if anyone else has had personal experiences with like workplace organizing or your attitude toward work shifting over the pandemic um, or like how you've seen friends' attitudes change.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I personally have gotten very big on calling my own laziness and anti-work politics. Um, Hell yeah. So feel feel free to steal that one. And you're making a political statement by taking a nap in the middle of the day, um, not being lazy. But um, (laughs) on like a more serious note, like I... Um, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and we'll talk about more, um, just finished a PhD program. And um, in theory, like the PhD in, uh, you know, an academic discipline is supposed to prepare you to teach at the college level. Um, And the job market's been bad for years, but it got really bad during COVID. Workplaces stopped hiring. There were four tenure track jobs in the entire country in my field in the 2020 2021 school year which is Um, a big
1: field also
2: yeah I mean I'm talking about 19th century U.S. history um like as a general field and um you know one of them was like at Mississippi State and like I'm sure there's lots of good things to say about Mississippi State but I personally am not moving to Starkville Mississippi like I just I would not thrive I would I would not thrive so it's like Even more limited if you're somebody who's, for example, like queer and is like, I want to be in a place that's like a little bit more likely to be affirming for my identity and my life and sexuality and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that's even more true if you're a minority in other ways that I'm not. Um, At any rate, the job market is just really fucking bleak. And it was really hard to realize that, like, I had been training for six years for a job that just didn't exist. Um, And I'm really lucky in that I got a postdoc and have two years to like basically write a book. Um, But I am coming to terms with and have come to terms with the fact that I probably will never be a professor, um, which again is what I wanted to do and what I trained to do. And that was really hard and really sad for a long time. But it also has like really encouraged me over the last like year and a half to really disentangle my identity from the labor that I do and to focus on like, okay, what besides, I love teaching, like it actually does make me very happy, but like, what do I love doing that's not teaching, like, where do I physically want to be in the country, like, if I don't have to just move to wherever there's a job, Um, you know, and so I've seen a lot of my friends who are in similar situations, who did this kind of academic training, go through very similar processes, and yeah, it has been, I mean, I I was already radicalized beforehand, but I, um, it's like radicalizing in a different way, I think, And it's definitely been like a pandemic process, but I also think like I'm going to be happier in the long run just being like, fuck moving for a job somewhere I don't want to move. Like, you know, fuck working in an exploitative industry if I don't want to work in it. Like, just to finish up, like, the reason that this is happening is because jobs that used to be tenure track are now adjunct jobs, and adjuncts get paid on average $3,500 a class um and so to make like a living wage you have to teach so many fucking classes um do if you multiply you know if you let's say like you want to teach 10 classes in a year as a professor like think about how if you how many papers you have to grade how many syllabi you have to create how many books you have to read like how many students names you have to memorize um, it's just like insanely exploitative. And I'm okay to probably not be part of that industry. So that's my long-winded answer to your question, Jules.
3: Yeah. Something um that I was thinking of with Jules' question is so I was unemployed, slash, underemployed, slash precariously employed in five different part-time jobs from time to time. Um, um, the two years leading up to the pandemic. And that was horrible um like weighs on my mental health a lot it weighs on your self-esteem a lot being unemployed in this society where you are supposed to be employed and where the first question everyone asks is like so what do you do and your answer is like kind of nothing kind of five different things depending on the day uh, most of them i don't want to tell you about um is really hard and i've noticed a lot more people since the pandemic talking about how um hard being unemployed is a lot more people that i know um, even just through social media, are are now unemployed or were unemployed during part of the pandemic, um, and I think like not that this is a positive. I think it's horrible that so many people were unemployed. It has also made more people empathetic to how hard it is to find and apply to a job. Like um, a lot of people, when I was underemployed would be like well maybe it won't be in your field you have to apply to any job and I was like no I've applied to every single open job like it's not I'm not being picky no one is hiring like that's just how it is Um, and yeah I think like just people have started to understand more how hard it is to be unemployed and how hard it is to apply to jobs, like you're constantly putting yourself out there. You're constantly writing cover letters, which are the fucking worst. And then just like being rejected literally every day of your life while not making any money. Like it's really, really hard and bad. And yeah, I think that over the pandemic, just so many people, so many more people that were always financially secure um or like had secure employment that's changed for.
1: Yeah, I agree. I also was on unemployment. And it's definitely, like, a nerve-wracking experience. I think that um, the other thing that I'll say that hasn't been covered is just that because I think as leftists, we are, our feelings around work are, like, why do we care about this thing when we're in a climate apocalypse? Or, like, why are we, like, focusing on whatever minutiae? in like, for me in a workplace, I'm like, why? why are we, like, you know, freaking out about some deadline or whatever the fuck? Um And I think everyone adopted a bit more of that mentality while a pandemic was going on because people were just like, I saw a lot more things on Twitter or whatever of people being like, how can my boss expect me to do X, Y, and Z while a pandemic is happening? Um, And so I think there has been a greater consciousness around like who the fuck cares about this thing that we're doing at jobs sometimes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. This is extremely anecdotal, but my partner was talking about how like on Halloween this year, which was on a Sunday, he felt like there were so many more people just like going out and getting really sloppy on a Sunday evening. And we were like, maybe this is because like people don't care as much about going to work hungover, (laughs) Um, which I mean, you know, it's also like one of the first holidays we got to celebrate like post-vaccination and all of that. But I I just thought that was, like, funny. and goes along with what you were saying, Laura. Um, Helen, was that an apple?
3: (laughs) My first thought, and this is how you know I have cursed teenage brain, was, like, that it was an apple pong. I was Girl, like, okay, let's not to that apple. <laughs> I used to make apple bongs all the I time. I mean, and, um...
0: what is an apple if not an apple bong waiting to be made? You yeah. <laughs> know, it tastes so good.
3: I used to literally do it all the time. Uh, whatever. Okay. Anyway,
0: I love that. Back to the task at hand. <laughs> this is apple bong representation. Um, so we wanted to move into some more specific examples of the recent strikes and other types of labor actions that have been happening. There have been a lot, and obviously we don't have time to cover all 180 strikes that have happened this year, but we just wanted to talk about some that have stood out to us that have been happening more recently and what's been going on. Um, So one thing I personally have been following, and this goes in the realm of more like informal labor activism, is the taxi workers hunger strike in New York, um, which just had a big win last week. So just a little bit of background for those who don't know. um, In New York City, cab drivers have to buy a medallion in order to legally be allowed to be a cab driver and like pick up passengers. These medallions are ridiculously expensive. They're typically like over $100,000, often hundreds of thousands of dollars. But in the most extreme cases, up to $1 million. Um, and those prices were inflated by these like lending companies that give people loans so that they can buy the medallion and then they have to pay off the loan. So taxi drivers are like stuck paying off these really high loans and other medallion-related debt. And especially after rideshare companies came into the city, this has become totally unsustainable. Like people are just not making enough money to ever pay off this debt. And the amount that people paid for these medallions doesn't reflect like what would be considered a fair market rate now, which is still ridiculously expensive. But um, anyway, there has been a lot of organizing around this issue for several years, but In September, the city finally announced this plan to help drivers pay off their debt, um, which many drivers didn't feel was anywhere close to enough. So the initial plan was a $65 million fund that not everyone was eligible for. And when you keep in mind that the city made $855 million selling these medallions, um, it's really not comparable to the actual amounts that people have spent on this. Like that's less than a 10th of the amount that the city made on this. Um, So members of the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, which is a union that represents cab and rideshare drivers, as well as a lot of other like informal coalitions of drivers started this hunger strike to demand a better deal. Um, And like with many hunger strikes, this was kind of like a last ditch effort. Like this deal had already been announced and it was just so bad that they were like, we need to do whatever we can to try to get something better. Um, so last week an agreement was announced in which the main lending company that people are in debt to will restructure these loans. So no one owes more than $200,000, which is still like so much, but it is a big improvement and represents a huge amount of debt forgiveness for a lot of people. Um, And then the hunger strike was able to conclude and a lot of people involved said that they were surprised that it was successful so quickly. Um, I think partly because it was like a last sort of last ditch effort. Um, People didn't know if it would work or not. And so it's really exciting that it did and that this deal was able to happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, The next one we wanted to talk about is the John Deere strike. So for almost a month, over 10,000 John Deere employees have been on strike And this company has been leaning on its salaried employees. Um, It's even talking about like moving some of the production that's happening in the U.S. overseas. Um, And it says that its main priority is still meeting the needs of its customer base rather than its striking employees. Um, Anyways, the last contract agreement was struck down on tuesday november 2nd and at that time the john deere bigwigs said it was the best offer they could possibly give and this wasn't told to the union directly so there might be an argument there that they are negotiating in bad faith which is something that the national labor relations board would take issue with um and so this is definitely one to keep an eye on as it continues to unfold in the upcoming weeks Yeah. So the John Deere strike is the
2: biggest strike that's currently happening in terms of numbers of striking employees in the country. And the second biggest strike is currently happening at Columbia University, which was, as I have mentioned very recently, both my employer and the school that I attended as a graduate student. Um, This strike is very exciting because, um, of course, yay, labor, militarism, but also because fuck that place. I hate it there. Um, And Just as a little bit of background, it's graduate students who are striking. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I want to explain just like very briefly how grad student labor works. Basically, if you go get into a PhD program, at most places you're going to be funded. So you really shouldn't be paying to get a PhD. Um, Universities pay you because you do academic labor for the university. So that may be that you're working in a lab if you're doing neuroscience and cutting mice's brains out. It may be that you're in a history program like me and you're a TA or a research assistant in some capacity. Um, And so those are the workers who are going on strike. Um, So as you may sort of gather from this, PhD students and some undergrad and master's students as well are doing huge shares of the labor at a place like Columbia. And they're getting paid like shit for it as well as having shit benefits. Um, It's another example uh w- while I was a graduate student they not they didn't remove our dental benefits they removed the ability that we had to pay extra to have dental we just didn't have the option to have dental anymore um That's so and terrible. You know, it's just you what what is there to say you know, it, un- unbelievable um just no dental option whatsoever. Um, And, you know, if you've ever heard me talk about Columbia, you probably also know that the university and especially my department was like just an absolute hotbed of sexual harassment, assault and violence, Um, like literal violence. I actually advise non-men not to come to my to, to, to my department if they're applying because it's just that bad. Um, And so another big thing that the striking workers are pushing for is neutral arbitration of harassment and discrimination claims, which are currently adjudicated by the university and which, you know, unsurprisingly, the university frequently generally finds in its own favor. Um, So, yeah, now now workers are on strike. We were also on strike last semester, which was my final semester at Columbia, and we did get a contract and it was pretty shit. Um, The bargaining committee came up with a contract with Columbia, we voted it down, I was a proud no voter, um, and then elected a new bargaining committee. And we, you know, we're hoping that this time it goes better. Um, Columbia has refused to bargain in good faith since then. And so the strike is back up, picket lines going strong. There's also been some incredible direct action. So like, for example, the university president is teaching a class right now. And graduate workers, along with a bunch of undergrad supporters, actually, which is very cool, showed up to disrupt it, to chant during it and basically not let him teach because um, if like, why should his working conditions be good if ours aren't? Um, It's worth noting, and you literally can't make this up, that this is a course about free speech. Um, So like, (laughs) honestly, nobody can even get mad that the union showed up to make their voices heard in that way. And um, it's also worth noting that Columbia is not the only school where graduate labor is mobilizing. Um, Last semester, NYU actually got a pretty impressive contract when they went on strike. I like showed up to those picket lines as well. It was very exciting. Um, Harvard's union recently staged a three-day just short strike um, as part of their contract negotiations and they may actually go back on strike again um, for an undetermined period of time if things don't go well. Um, And finally, the University of California system is about to start contract negotiations with its its own graduate workers, so there may be labor action on that front as well, definitely something to look out for. And then finally, just in case you were wondering, um, the president of Columbia makes in three days what i made there in a year um and columbia's endowment is 14.4 billion dollars
0: well one of the other big strikes that we wanted to talk about that's happening right now is the kellogg strike um i wanted to talk about this one for a few reasons one of which is that it's a more like public facing company where a lot of us buy these products um so it's something that like random people that don't work at Kellogg's can still have an impact on. So this strike involves 1,400 workers at four Kellogg's factories. Um, And one of the main demands, which is actually a demand that a bunch of recent labor actions have centered on, is the end to a two-tiered employment system. So basically what this means is when newer, more recently hired workers don't have as many benefits or protections, they aren't paid as much, And older so-called legacy workers do have more of those protections. I think this is interesting because it's a demand where one segment of employees actually doesn't really have any immediate benefit from this demand. Like it's sort of, inherently a demand of solidarity um, and it's also a long-term demand because it recognizes that employers are trying to roll back pay and benefits over time um, and frame it under the guise of like oh we're just not paying newer employees as much yet but they'll eventually earn that much um, which is in some cases not true. And in reality, it often leads to lower wages and fewer benefits across the board over time, as those workers become the more senior workers and still never get up to that level of pay or the same protections that the company previously guaranteed to people. Um, So getting into how we can help with all of this, um, while the strike is ongoing, the union has asked People who want to support workers not to buy any Kellogg's brand products. So that includes a bunch of cereals. That's the main thing they do: frosted flakes, fruit loops, apple jacks. Um, it also includes the vegan meat brand Morningstar Farms. Don't know if that's relevant to anyone else, but that's the main one that I was like, okay, can't buy Morningstar Farms right now. Um, and then <laughs> like um vegetarian life. Uh, and then some snack foods like Pringles, Rice Krispies, and Cheez-Its. It's so- such a bummer
2: because Cheez-Its are so so far superior to their main competitor, Cheese Nips.
0: Yeah, Cheese Nips are trash. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think for a lot of other things it's interesting because um we're going to talk more about the Nabisco strike in a minute too but like there have been these sort of like snack food brand um worker strikes and mm. it's been I think for me just like a helpful reminder to be like thinking about the companies that I'm purchasing from and like be thinking about alternatives or like do I really need to buy a Cheez-Its? Is there something else that I can get instead that's maybe like um, a better, more local or like small company or something? Um, but anyway, I also just wanted to share a little bit. I was reading an interview with one of the workers involved in this strike. Um, and he also pointed out that Kellogg's made record profits during the pandemic. Um, which was largely due to how much overtime people were working because there was short staffing. So for workers then to be told that the company doesn't have the money to increase people's pay or to pay everyone at the same rate is especially insulting. Um, And then he also said, quote, as more unions around the country are successful in their contracts, you're going to see, and we've already started to see, more people just even locally come to us and say, hey, how do we unionize our shop? I think we're kind of kicking ass and taking names, unquote. Um, I just thought that Hell was very yeah. cool. I wanted to share.
2: I love that. Yeah, as Jules um, pointed out, there was also the big Nabisco strike that happened recently. Um, the strike is not currently ongoing. It ended, but it is important. It's an important part of this fall of strikes. I was like, oh, I was part of Strike Striketober, but um, the Nabisco strike actually ended in September. It, it went on, though, for over a month. Um, and included workers in five different non contiguous states. And it began in response to just like terrible working conditions in Nabisco plants, um, with workers being basically forced to be at work for 12 to 16 hour shifts, six to seven days a week, um, or risk losing their jobs. Um, other complaints in court included. Uh, that the company was outsourcing, um, that the benefits were just absolute shit, that there was a reduction of overtime and holiday pay scales, so they're being worked more and paid less, and just just other like general fuckery. Um, And this is at a time very similar to what Jules was just saying, um, during which Nabisco's parent company was literally doubling its profits over the previous year. So long story short, the strike forced Nabisco to offer its workers a new contract, which the union membership quickly ratified. And um, some of the gains included pay hikes, bonuses, and better 401k matching. Um, and also, you know, ideally, it's looking like people will not be expected to work in the crazy hours that they were expected to work before.
1: Ugh. Yeah, abolish it all. We love to see a win. Uh Yes, we do. Um, next up also kind of a win Um, you may have heard of the IATSE or the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees strike or threat of strike Um, that's a union which represents the vast majority of craft workers in Hollywood Um, they threatened to strike unless a better contract was reached the strike was averted with a new contract, um, which had a mixed reaction from workers, and I think that that was mostly because they were worried about being in the master's house and, like, taking, you know, what was offered. However, Salvador Perez, the president of the Costume Designers Guild, noted, quote, This is the most gains we have ever made in a contract, and we didn't give up anything. Bottom line is we have a better contract than we ever had before and we avoided a work stoppage. Um, their vote about this as a union was one of the most uh, highest rates percentage of like being willing to vote if a, if a contract wasn't seen. So I think that that weighed heavily on that contract being met, met as well. Um, And the new contract protects workers from overworking on the weekends, attempts to reinforce meal breaks, and increases wages, particularly for the lowest paid workers, and strengthens pensions.
3: Yeah. Next, wanted to talk about one from my hometown, the SEPTA Union in Philadelphia, which Mm. (laughs) recently reached a tentative new contract um, because the city is trying to stop them from going on strike, which would shut down the city's transportation. For people who are not familiar, SEPTA is, stands for Southeastern Pennsylvania Transit Authority. So it's not just in Philly. It's like the whole surrounding area of eastern uh, Southeastern PA. Um, so that includes the buses and subways within the city, as well as a lot of regional trains and buses. Um, the train and the subway in Philadelphia are not the same thing, contrary to what people believe in many other cities. So this is a huge system that an estimated 4 million people use. Um, on a regular basis. And just within the Philly public school system, approximately 60,000 students and 20,000 teachers rely on SEPTA to get to school, which is just to say this is like a huge part of the infrastructure um, of Philly and the surrounding area. And of course, those workers are very vital to the city. So the new contract would provide 3% raises over the next two years and a one-time hazard pay bonus for every hour that was worked within the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. The union wanted a four-year raise increase contract plus benefits for the 11, 11 SEPTA workers who died of COVID. Um, SEPTA has been historically a very strong union since 1975. There have been 13 transit strikes. Also worth noting in terms of why um, part of why they accepted the contract for two years when they wanted four is the SEPTA is funded differently than a lot of public transportation systems that pull on taxes. So SEPTA is under um, what is called the Pennsylvania Turnpike Commission, which is de- uh, determined by the, the state government. And the current like budget expires next year. And so they were like, there are complications with them not actually knowing what the budget would be in a few years from now. Um, and that's just some fun budget things but
1: yeah (laughs) some fun budget train facts municipal (laughs) yes um all right so i'm back on my bullshit aka talking about buffalo um we love to see it the there have been um a number of uh starbucks stores in the greater buffalo area that uh, have been on strike. So uh, this has been a pretty huge thing. Obviously, this unionizing, I'm sorry, they're trying to build a union. That's they They haven't been on strike. Misspoke. We've been talking about strikes so much. But anyway, they might go on strike once they once they have their union. <laughs> um, so this unionizing effort began about three months ago. And so as I'm sure you know, Starbucks is a franchise and there had to be approval from the NLRB that allows workers to vote store by store whether they want to unionize. Um, So secondly, bigwigs from corporate Starbucks have been coming to Buffalo to try to stop these unionizing efforts. Basically, union busting at its finest has fully been happening. The service. Can I jump
2: in here really quickly and just say that literally late breaking news um, that Howard Schultz came to uh, Buffalo recently? Yes. And um, (laughs) who's the COO? Yes. Uh, The former CEO told a story about the Holocaust, really poor taste, um, but was trying to get people not to unionize and said the following. Not everyone, but most people. So he he said that um, a rabbi in Israel told him about um, prisoners at concentration camps in Poland who were only given a few blankets and had to share. He said, quote, not everyone, but most people shared their blanket with five other people. So much of that story is threaded into what we tried to do at Starbucks to share our blanket. Um, I would just say if you're trying to motivate your employees not to unionize, um, comparing them and what they're experiencing to a Holocaust, probably not the method to go with.
3: Uh but yeah. So our metaphor expert, Kellen, says no to that metaphor.
1: I'm gonna say we're gonna down, say unanimously down. that it's a big <laughs> no
2: from us. Yeah. Um, a Starbucks employee in attendance told the New York Times, quote, I felt like it wasn't a very appropriate analogy. So yeah. um, it's just not
1: hitting for the intended audience. Exactly. Big yikes. Um so in general, the service industry is one that has struggled to unionize, um, despite it being one of the more obscene working conditions. Um, but the unionizing efforts in Buffalo Starbucks are has obviously uh, been a huge deal. Their vote is supposed to start tomorrow, Wednesday, November 10th. But after this fucker came to town... Um, there's been a lot of efforts on behalf of the company to push the election back. So as far as I know, um, as of recording this on November 9th, the vote will start tomorrow. But as you know, corporate fuckery knows no bounds. Um, they've also tried to flood three stores trying to unionize with staff from outside the area who would likely vote against a unionizing effort trying to dilute the staff, which is illegal, by the way. Again, the bad labor crimes. So I also want to say that this is following the unionization of our local coffee chain, Spot Coffee. Uh, My dear friend is a union steward for his location, and spot unionizing certainly could be a spark for this unionization effort with Starbucks locally.
0: Nice. That's so cool.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun to see baristas from Starbucks going to spot and posting about drinking union strong coffee, um, just trolling their employers as they should, which we're gonna cover as well. Um, So, a quote from the corporate's response to this unionizing campaign, which I thought was just, you know, clearly shows the fuckery of their own union busting efforts, is quote: "While Starbucks respects the free choice of our partners." We firmly believe that our work environment, coupled with our understanding, our outstanding compensation and benefits, makes unions unnecessary at Starbucks. We respect our partners' right to organize, but we be- but believe they would not find it necessary given our pro-partner environment. Yeah, they call their employees partners. Very confusing because obviously they're not giving them a seat at the table. Not anymore. what
3: that word means. Words exactly. In today's edition of words mean things yes, not what that means
1: exactly so obviously you know, we know how co- corporations love to pretend they are amazing with their labor lmao bye bitch Okay. If you want to know exactly what's going on, this campaign has a pretty great social media presence, and I suggest you follow SB Workers United on both Twitter and Instagram to get the latest updates on this unionizing effort and see how you can support the comrades here in Buffalo.
0: Amazing. Well, I wanted to wrap us up with just talking a little bit about the media climate that we've seen around work and bosses during this time, um, especially memes. So I personally have been noticing a huge uptick in like anti-boss and anti-landlord content on Twitter and social media in general. Um, There have been all the photos of signs where workers were like, we're not working today and here's why. Um, as well as people making fun of the signs that like companies have put up that are like "boohoo, we're so sad" because people are refusing to work at our company that doesn't pay a living wage. Um, a fun one recently was that Taco Bell thing. There was like some article with the headline that was like "Taco Bell workers sit inside smoking while the drive-through line piles up," <laughs> and then like a bunch of people just shared it, like "Amazing, I love that."
1: yes i also love that i feel like there's been so many people sharing screenshots of like a boss telling them to come in on their day off and the worker just being like no it's my day off and the boss threatening them and the worker quitting and i just like love and live for those tweets at this point i'm so good and like i noticed that
2: like on some of this quitting text like people have been like responding being like oh uh, do we even know this is real and like I just don't think it matters. Like some of them are definitely real. Some of them are probably fake, but like it in general, it's like stirring up anti-work and anti-boss sentiment and that you simply
1: love to see that. Exactly
0: yeah i i totally agree i feel like it can only be a good thing if people like think it will get them clout to yell at their bosses or to (laughs) pretend to yell at their bosses so i don't know yeah i feel like it just helps get the idea in people's minds that you can refuse and you can demand better working conditions and especially when there's this feeling that, like, other people in the same industry are doing similar things at the same time, that it can actually lead to something changing. Um, I think that's like the idea that that can actually work is something that a lot of us in the U.S. don't really have any direct experience with previously. Um, One other fun online thing that I wanted to mention before we end is this labor action tracker that's run by Cornell. If you search online for Cornell Strike Tracker, it will probably be the first thing that comes up. Um, It's just this really fun and amazing tool that lets you see all of the current strikes and labor activism that are happening around the country. Um, You can also suggest ones for them to add Um, And so I was just like looking at it and I was able to discover that there's currently a strike of workers at a hot topic in Rochester, Minnesota. And then you can also, which is like amazing. Um, And you can also see like coverage of the action if they have any news coverage available. So I was just like reading about it. And this, it includes like this sign that went viral on Twitter, which I think I actually might've seen at some point, but basically like Workers walked out and wrote this sign that said, quote, almost all of our staff walked out due to the instability of the Hot Topic company. You cannot pay your workers in passion. Sorry for the inconvenience, unquote. Um, so that's a very cool and informative thing to check out, especially if you're curious about smaller local actions that might be happening in your area.
1: Oh, solidarity to Molgoths everywhere. I love, yeah. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I thought we could end on kind of an empowering note, which was to read from a friend of the pod, Sarah Jaffe's latest book, Work Won't Love You Back. Um, She writes, labor is required for value to be produced and capital accumulated. But that labor, as we've noted, is all too often likely to rebel against the process. Labor, after all, is us. Messy, desiring, Hungry, lonely, angry, frustrated human beings. We may be free to quit our jobs and find find ones we like better, as the mantra goes. But in practice, that freedom is constrained by our need to eat, to have some place to sleep, to have health care. Our place in the hierarchy of capitalist society is decided not by how hard we work, but by any number of elements out of our control, including race, gender, and nationality. Work, as political theorist Kathy Weeks wrote, is a way that we are produced as social and political subjects. Work, in other words, helps us helps to tell us how to be and changes in the shape of the workplace, in the shape of capitalism itself, have changed our expectations for what our lives will be like or where and how we will find fulfillment. The concept of a, quote, good job is one that has changed over time and through struggle, a point we would do well to remember, unquote. And I love this quote because Sarah really draws attention to how fundamental work is to our society and therefore where the power lies, but also reminds us that the only good jobs that exist have been fought for. So we stand in solidarity with all of you in the struggle and hope that we may all fight for a fair world. If anyone on those picket lines listens to the pod and has anything we can amplify on Instagram and Twitter, please do not hesitate to reach out. At Season of the Bee.
3: <laughs> yeah. Work won't love you back, but who will love you back in a parasocial kind of way is us. And <laughs> you can acquire that by going to patreon.com slash season of the bitch. You can join our Discord where you do actually get to speak with the real us. That's right. Um, and a bunch of other really cool people that listen to the pod and who are amazing and so smart and wonderful. Um, and through that, you can also be part of our reading group. Our reading group will be meeting November 21st to talk about our spooky season book, Girls Against God, which you can get through Verso, or you will be able to attain a free PDF once you join the Discord. Um, you can follow us on social media at Season of the Bee in all the places. You can email us at Season of the Bee at gmail.com. You can like. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Not like I don't know what I'm talking about. Just <laughs> like us, please just like us, <laughs> like us. <laughs> and
1: I think that's everything. Hell yeah. Love you. Bye. Love you. <laughs> you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Season of the bitch.